You're listening to Destination University, a podcast for college-bound teens and the parents, mentors, and educators who support them. If that is you, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Welcome to episode number 80, a conversation with Carl Forbes from the Evergreen State College. His topic, the on-ramp to your future. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Cynthia Colon, author of the book, Tips, Tales, and Truths for Teens. Welcome to Destination University, where we explore extraordinary people who lived ordinary childhoods and found a pathway to college. Thank you for being here today. You are helping to grow the community of informed families across the nation. Thank you for joining the movement. Oh my goodness, I'm super excited to welcome Carl to the show. This is your first time being interviewed on Destination University. How are you doing today, Carl? Oh, I can't complain. I'm excited. I can't wait to jump in and join the movement. Yeah, right. I loved. So Carl and I met as he was a guest on Dream College Academy, one of our guest panelists. And Carl, honestly, sort of your, just your energy and your, I can see your true commitment to students and <clears throat> their journey in this process. Uh, it means a lot to you. So I can't wait to get started in talking to you. Um, tell us a little bit about um, what you're, you know, for those of us who've never been to your campus, share literally what you're looking at outside, outside your window and a little bit about Evergreen. Sure. Well, when I look outside the window, I see trees and woods and unspoiled forest. Evergreen is located uh, in the in-between of a little over a thousand acres of woodland backing right up to the bottom of the Puget Sound. We can't see the water from my office. You have to actually take a short walk to get to the water, the, the beach line, but it's absolutely beautiful. And I've never, you know, for a person who's from New York City and who um, spent a lot of time in the city and things like that, I never thought I would be in that kind of environment where uh, for those students that are studying environmental studies, their classroom is literally right outside the door. So that's what I look at when I look outside, when I take walks, you know, I. I I don't know what fresh air smells like because they they have uh, we have a farm on campus so they use uh, organic products to to actually you know fertilize the soil so I don't really know what fresh air is but <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> um, if I look down, it's because I'm taking notes on on some things that you say. I love. Um, I. I should have said, I always start by saying to parents um, and those who are listening, just grab your beverage of choice and a pen and paper if you're old school like me, because I like to take notes on little golden nuggets. And <clears throat> I love that you said that the classroom is really outdoors and there's a farm on campus. What? Yes. Do they it is crazy. That produce for campus? So they have an organic farm. So they actually bring the products to market. So the students that are in, into organic farming will go to school, we're in the quarter system. So they'll go to school in the spring, the summer, in the fall, and they will actually bring what they grow to market. And then for those students who are like, who really wanna grow their own food, you can actually go in and sign up for a plot of land and you can grow your own food, you know, your own produce. Oh my goodness, my stepsister would love this. This is so great. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Well, we, um, the listeners love to learn not just about the institution where you are currently working, but just a bit about your own journey. And this show is really about just ordinary people who are extraordinary people who lived ordinary childhoods um, and found their pathway. So I, I have read a little bit about your, your pathway, but 
Uh, it's a great story. So go ahead and share with our listeners, you know, what, what were you like in high school and how did you navigate this process back then? Sure. Um, I was forced to do well in high school. You know, so I'm old school, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s, which I know I'm deceptively young looking. So for those people who actually get a chance to see me, yes, I am in my 50s, even though you might say, oh, my God, he's that guy's in his 20s or 30s. So uh, I'm as old. I'm pretty old school. So when you think about those parents or at least my mom that was saying you're going to college and things, I had no choice. So I knew from a very early age that I was going to college. So. Um, regardless of what I wanted to take in high school, mom had me in all honors classes. Um, I'm from New York City, where in New York State, they have the Regents exam program. So I was in all Regents program, which meant that students were taking the exams at the end of the year and all that kind of thing. So I had no choice in that. The only choice I had was whether I was going to take woodshop or auto mechanics as my, as my uh, elective. And I chose neither. I chose print shop. And my mother was a little disappointed because she didn't see that as a skill that I could use later on down the line. And I never made my own, uh, my own uh, business cards or anything like that. So I, I probably was a wasted year and a half. <laughs> oh, you're cracking me up. Woodshop. And like, do they have these classes anymore? I don't know. Those are the classes I had too. We had other, other uh, choices, I guess, for the girls. Um, but uh, yeah, so print shop, you took print shop and not woodshop and, and auto. Um, and I love what you said here that you never, it wasn't a choice. You always knew you were going. And yes. I my, my mother was my very first uh, interviewee. And she talks about using the, the word, not if you go to college, but when you go. She It was always when. Always so here's a, here's a little story for you on that. Tell so. Me. Um, I didn't grow up rich by any means. I was, you know, we were very, very modest, uh, single parent household, my mother, my brother, myself. And uh, I never had a birthday party growing up. And I don't tell people that for sympathy, but just to get a sense of, you know, we just didn't, that wasn't in our means. So I didn't have a birthday party. Uh, but we, I always had a cake on my birthday. And that cake was always uh, yellow cake with white frosting and coconut. So, you know, even now, like when I'm, really missing home and missing, you know, being nostalgic. I'll go to the Cold Stone Creamery and get cake batter ice cream with coconut in it. And it just tastes like home, you know, that kind of thing. And on my 10th birthday, I got, when I came in, mom had the cake and I had uh, seven candles on the cake. And so I, I said, mom, I'm 10 years old. Why, why are there only seven candles on the cake? And she looked at me really lovingly and tenderly and said, well, that's because you only have seven more years to live with me. And, you know, you're, you know, I'm not, and it, the context of that was that she always said that she wasn't raising boys. She was raising men and men make choices. And I was going to graduate from high school at 17. So at that point, you know, I had three choices. I was, it was either go to the military, get a job or go to college. Those were the, those were the choices that I had. And, you know, growing up in the 70s, I saw people coming back from Vietnam. They, you know, they're sitting on their train station talking to themselves. They were missing limbs and things like that. And I said, okay, well, if that's what happens to people who go to the military, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. And my mother always complained about work and her little piece of job and the little money that she made. So I didn't think, I didn't see, you know, work in the future. So college was pretty much it. 
and and which is pretty much where she was pushing me toward college. So that's why, you know, when you talk about that whole when statement, when I go to college, that was always part of the conversation for both my brother and myself. Okay. I, I just about lost it there. Those of you who are watching this episode, uh, I got a little choked up here. Um, did you hear what he said? So parents, those of you who are listening, there were seven candles on his birthday cake on his 10th birthday, representing the number of years left at home. Parents, time flies by uh, very, very quickly. And so just know that what you say and what you do and the time you spend with your teens, your children that grow into being teens and then young adults, that's what you've got. That's all you've got. And that's what they're going to remember. They will remember your presence, being present, way far longer than they will remember your presence, your birthday gifts. So what a great lesson. Um, now, Carl, share with us, uh, okay, so now you're in high school, you're taking, you're doing all the right things because mom is very, she's such a rock star. Um, on top of it. <laughs> she's on it, honors and the, and the honors classes and, and getting you on the right track. But how do you, how does one, right, find a list of colleges? How did you know where to apply, what to do? Get us to sort of junior year into senior year. What happens then? So, Mom, well, mom knew I had to go to college, so she knew I had to take the best courses, you know, that kind of thing. So that she knew. She didn't know how to get me to college because she hadn't, she hadn't navigated that process for herself yet. So, um, and it's funny because once we, once I started, she started and she finished before I did. So that was kind of a, an interesting dynamic that happened during that time too. But uh, she knew she wasn't an expert at getting, you know, at getting me to college. So uh, she turned to the only person that she knew or thought she knew could help, which was my uncle who lived in Colorado, who had gone to college. So that was, that was her college role model. Uh, so uh, packed me up on a plane, shipped me out to Denver to, um, to visit with my aunt and uncle. The aunt was her sister. Um, and we did what everybody who didn't know how to do college did. We bought the big Barron's book and thumped that big thing on the kitchen table and started flipping through and, and you know, and then, and we had that difficult conversation, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to have over the next few months, which is, okay, what do you want? I'm 16 years old. I have no idea what I want. I don't, you know, and we start going through, you know, what are criteria and the Barron's book uh, for no, you know, nothing against the Barron's book, but it kind of walks you through in the beginning of it of types of colleges and things like that. And we started just answering those questions. Started at the beginning, but I only had a week because I was only staying with auntie for a week. So uh, the, the task was, you know, we're going to send you out to Colorado. You're not going to have any fun out there. You're just going to have, you're just going to do this college list and come back with a college list. Well, I, so we went out, we started flipping through the book and things like that. So I real, I said, I wanted to stay at home, uh, said, you know, stay close to home at least. And so we started looking at colleges in New York. Um, you know, we all knew Fordham University, which was a Jesuit school in Fordham, uh, uh, in the Bronx, New York, but it was too close to home because if I was that close to home, mom could come visit. So I had to try to find some place where mom couldn't come visit, or at least where it was going to be difficult. She had just, you know, just to give you more context, she had just learned to drive within the last two years. 
Uh, so she, you know, being in New York City, you don't have to drive. And so she had just learned to drive in the last couple of years. So I knew she wasn't going to take a long trip. You know, that was so that was part of it. And so we settled in on okay, I'm Catholic. Uh, I know I know that there's a Catholic school right around the corner. Where's another Catholic school like that? And so we kind of figured on Lemoyne. Uh, and I went to Lemoyne College, which is a right-sized Jesuit institution in Syracuse, New York. And there were a couple of things that really stood out. Number one, being Jesuit, we knew that that meant that I was going to make connections. And the other thing that was a really conscious choice for us was that it was a predominantly white institution. And, you know, I grew up in uh, the Bronx and I spent time in Yonkers, New York, all in areas that looked a lot like me. And for those of you that aren't looking, I'm an African-American male, I'm six foot four. And, you know, a lot of the guys look like me. A lot of the guys were in sports and things like that. Um, uh, when I, I say guys, but the women's were all, you know, women were in sports too. So, you know, people, it was really diverse, but in a, in a different type of way, because the folks that made up my community were mostly black, mostly uh, Latinx and mostly Arab. So those were the, that was the melting pot of my area with only a few whites. So, you know, it was a conscious decision that to, to go and try to find a predominantly white institution so that I can figure out that other side of life. Interesting. Okay, so you just dropped like four million bombs. All right, listeners, <laughs> let me just recap a few things. <clears throat> so, the most important thing I want you to take away from what he just said was this. Parents, if you're listening, uh, and my mom is an example of this too, I use, I talk about her all the time, but Carl's mother, again, the right decision, not just explaining to him to take the right courses, but she knew enough to know she could only do so much and get him to this point. And then she knew it was time to ask for help. It takes a village and it takes courage for a parent to say, you know, hey, I don't know everything and I need to get some help. And she turned to um, the uncle, the, the, and we say in our household, the tío and the tía, um, and Carl went out to, to visit um, aunt and uncle and with one goal in mind, spend a week and come back with the college list. <laughs> so that you did. Now, um, I love, thank you for, for, for those who are just listening audio wise and not watching. Um, Carl did a great job of describing, you know, who he is and what he looks like and where he comes from. Obviously, New York is one of the most diverse cities in the country and et cetera, but there are pockets certainly that are not as diverse as we as, as we think, uh, you know, as we see on TV. So thanks for sharing about that. I love also what you said, Lemoyne, the right-sized Jesuit institution. And Jesuits are known for networking and making connections and feeling part of that extended family. So that was really key for you, it sounds like. And you purposefully sought out <clears throat> a different kind of community than you were used to growing up with, right? Gosh, so, so forward-thinking, so forward-thinking. So, okay, so now you're in college <clears throat> and just to sort of get us to after, after that and, and how you, because you now work in college and do that for a living. So, excuse me, hang on. <clears throat> what happens in college? What was the maybe a turning point for you that you knew that this was the kind of work you wanted to do, really be in the helping students kind of business? So, as I told you before, my mom was on it 100%. So, I didn't get to live, I didn't get to hang out and do a lot of things that my friends do. So, when I went off to college, it was like, woo, 
It was a blast. You know, I had a, a really good time. Um, in fact, it's so good of a time that I started going back home and talking to other people saying, hey, you need to go to college. Here's what my college is like, but there's lots of other colleges out there. So I'm 18 or I, I was either 17 or 18 at the time because I wasn't actually 18 in college um, and coming back and talking about going off to college and things like that uh, to people. So I, I started then saying, hey, college is the right thing. I didn't know, more, you know, um, as much about liberation theology and, you know, college being the great equalizer and those kinds. Of, I didn't get that until I was in college and into my junior and senior year. But at that time, I just knew that there were people that needed to get some more exposure. Um, and so I did that a lot in my first couple of years. Um, but I, that doesn't make me the best student either, though, because, you know, like I said, my first semester at college was a blast. And when I got home, my grades, uh, my grades came the day before Christmas. And my, you know, my mom got the grades before I did because, we, you know, we live in an apartment building. She had her mail key and she was the only one who had the mail key. Um, and I didn't know what to expect with grades because I, like I said, I was partying and having a blast. And um, she came home, uh, well, I came home and she was in the kitchen and she called me and said, uh, your grades came today. And I said, oh, that's cool. She said, you want to tell me how you did? I have no idea. And uh, she, you know, she uh, asked me about each class. How are you doing in this one? How are you doing in this one? And I had no, you know, because I really wasn't the most focused student. And the, sh the short of the story is I had a 1.8 GPA. <laughs> and she told me, oh yeah. And she told me, uh, you know, I don't need to send you away to a private school. And we were paying $900, which was a lot of money to go to college in, in uh, what was it, uh, 1985. So she said, you know, we're paying $900 for you to go to college. Some of your, your listeners are snickering right now when I say that number. Um, and she said, I could, you can go to, you can go to a community college right here in the city. And I can pay a lot less if you're going to bring home grades like this. I never brought home a, 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 a score report like that again, because I was not coming back home because I was having so much fun not being home that I couldn't imagine having to live with my mom again. So that was at that moment that I realized that I wasn't going to live at home anymore. That was, you know, I was me saying, okay, I'm moving to Syracuse and I'm going to live in Syracuse and figured out how to not come home every summer, uh, you know, except for Christmas and things like that, but I wasn't coming home. Um, so that was, that was all going on in my head. Um, so that meant I had to really put it to the grind. And so I got involved in more academic activities. I got involved in um, an organization we had on our campus called Pride in Our Work, Ethnicity and Race, which was uh, with folks that were like-minded, more, um, more black students, African-American students and Latinx students. And we, we kind of you know, worked on you know, how do we change a school you know, as I mentioned before, uh, we were at a predominantly white institution. At the time that I got to Lemoyne, um, black students made up one half of one percent of the total population. It's a lot different now. No. But at that point, it would it looked like that. Wow. And you know, that, okay, say yeah. that number again. One half. One half of one percent. One half of one percent. Folks, if you're listening, yeah. I mean, honestly, it, right? I mean, especially over the last year and everything that's happened uh, with all these movements, Black Lives Matter, uh, we can't even imagine what that would 
you know, that would not be acceptable at any college at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that was 20 students, 20 students out of 400. So one half of 1%. So you get involved. Um, so first of all, you go home and mom rightly gets the, has the, has the only key to the mailbox and says, oh, yeah. I, I don't need to pay this much money for you to, you know, go to a private school. You can go down the road. Uh, and you quickly say, okay, th this, I got to get my act together. And you get involved, you said, with academic activities and you find your niche in college. And, um, so, so get us to where, did you do work in the college admission office while you were still in college or how did you find your way to college admissions? I worked with the Upper Bound program. I did volunteer work there and started to connect with students and they were, you know, Upper Bound, for those of you that don't know the federally funded TRIO program, Upper Bound, the goal is to take students who may not have the means, because in order to be in that program, you have to be a first-generation college, and your family has to uh, have, has to be under the poverty line. Poverty line, um, and it takes those students and introduces them to college and things like that. So I was in in now in this academic role and being an academic role model. So that 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 was kind of, and I had some fantastic mentors. And I mean, I can't stress the importance of mentors enough. Um, and I had some fantastic mentors that really forged my professional life. That time when I was only 19 years old. Um, so I started volunteering with them and then got my first major summer job with that organization. And I wound up working with that organization for 19 years as a result of that opportunity that they gave me back when I was 19. Holy smokes, that's amazing. Okay, I just want to point yeah. out that clearly the sun is shining where you are right now. It looks like, like the sun is coming through your window. You've got a halo. You look like, you know, like Jesus. That is true. That's, <laughs> that's not the sun. That's your halo. I, I really have a halo. So you got the halo effect. I love it. So you right. work for Upward Bound for 19 years, which is essentially, as you shared, uh, you have to be first generation and a number of other things to sort of be part of that program. Now that certainly serves as the on-ramp for many students to finding uh, their path to college, et cetera. And so now I wanna switch to, you know, um, my, I, my book is called Tips, Tales and Truths for Teens. And so I like to ask, uh, our guests, uh, especially those who are in college admissions now, what is, uh, you know, sort of your best tip, your best tale, and your best truth? And you can start anywhere you'd like. Um, sure. But, but uh, you know, share with our listeners, um, maybe, do you want to start with your tale? Tale about a, a student? Uh, I'll tell, I'll start with the tale about, well, no, I don't want to start with the tale because the tale okay. gets me to evergreen. And so that's a little bit farther down the line. Uh, what I'd rather do is start with my tip because my tip comes from uh, Peter Johnson. Do you, uh, did you ever come in contact with Peter Johnson? Yes. Oh, my word. God rest his soul. Peter Johnson. God rest his soul. I was at Vassar College uh, as a newbie. And all of the seasoned veteran, Diane McCoy, Peter Johnson, uh, and I can go on, Rob, you know, others from... Uh, Oh gosh, who am I thinking of at Harvard? Anyway, Peter Johnson, yes, of Columbia University, who is, has it been a couple of years? It's been several years now, uh, probably five, probably five years or so. He, he passed and it, it was uh, tragic. So Peter Johnson, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. So 
Peter Johnson, you know, I was doing, a, I was on a panel with him. I was working at Lemoyne at the time in the admission office and um, I was on a panel with him and something that he said to me, even though I wasn't working for an Ivy League school, something that he said stuck with me. So I use that as my tip no matter where I go. And my, then that tip is, if you're applying to a very, uh, very prestigious or very selective program, um, make sure that you look like your application and your application looks like you. And what he meant by that is that if you're going to tell me that you want pre-med at Columbia, you had better have some activities in pre-med at your high school, some volunteer work, some quality experiences to show that that's really who you are and what you want to do. So that tends to be my tip. Make sure that your application reflects who you are and what it is that you want to do, if you know. You know, if you don't know what it is that you want to do, that's fine too. And there's other tips for that. But if you know that you want to be a doctor, you know you want to go to that uh, that um, direct entry nursing program or that direct entry engineering program and those kinds of things, your application needs to reflect that, or else you're just not going to be successful in the process. And you know, coming from somebody who is at an Ivy League school, that makes a lot of sense. That makes perfect sense. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> um, and we talk, I can't remember which module you were a guest, you've been a guest for us on Dream College Academy a couple of times, but we talk about that in module three about, you know, what is the evidence? If you're going to say, I want to major in X, what is the evidence in the last, you know, four years, you know, in your high school years, but you know, what's, what's the evidence in your life that sh really shows that in fact, you do want to do that. Um, okay. So that's a good tip and, um, and maybe combination of truth. So go ahead you take us where you want to go next. So, in, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, whichever way you look at it, um, the, the tail is, um, well, I've got two. So I'll give you one. And uh, it kind of speaks to why I get up and why I do this kind of work and why I've been involved in admissions and uh, around admissions and working with admissions offices for the, the you know, lots of years now. and. I think about a student that I had named Amato. And Amato was from the Lower East Side, New York City. And I recruited him to go to Lemoyne. And it took him seven years to graduate. And, you know, he would stop out and I would, I'd be recruiting at his high school and he'd be right outside the high school. And it's like, hey, you coming back? You gonna finish? And ultimately he did. Like I said, it took seven years to finish a four year degree. Um, and that's all he got was four years. So, you know, there's no doctor, there's no anything. He was he, just to finish his four year degree. And when we had graduation in Syracuse, we have it at the War Memorial downtown, the whole, you know, the, the whole block, everything. When we let out, you know, and people are filling out the whole block, he had something like 12 to 14 people from his family because he was actually the first person to graduate from college in his family. He had younger brothers and sisters. And, you know, and I saw a motto and I went over and gave him a big hug and, you know, this is pre-COVID, so remember, wear your mask. Um, went over, gave him a big hug and everything else. And, you know, I was like, man, I knew you could do it. I'm glad you did it and things like that. And his grandmother was there and his grandmother, an elderly, elderly Latina woman, kind of pointed at me and said, you. And I was like, oh boy, here it comes. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I said, you know, you know, I replied, yes, ma'am. And she said, 
you you brought all of us here. You're the reason that we're here. You brought my Amato to, to this school. And now it's because of you that Amato's graduating today. And you know, while I tried to keep telling her, no, it wasn't me, Amato had to come and he had to keep coming back and he had to finish. So the work was his, he did it. She was convinced that it, if it wasn't for me, this would have never happened. And I think about all of those stories of people who I run into the grocery store or in a restaurant, or you know, I haven't seen them in 20 years, some, some of them 30 years, because I started working in college admission in 1996. Um, and they will say, oh my God, you're Mr. Forbes, and not because I'm wearing my Mr. Forbes jacket, but they just, you know, you said this in class and that made such a difference. You did this for me, it made such a difference. When you think about those, yes, I've chosen careers that don't pay a lot of money, but those stories are the reason that, you know, I might be working with the next Amato today or tomorrow kind of thing. And that's the, that's the, the tale, that one tale about, you know, the persistence and how important these milestones might be, and as the students that might be listening, you know, when, they, when you talk about graduation, you say, well, I'm not going, you know, your graduation isn't necessarily just for you, even though it's lauding your accomplishment and that kind of thing, your graduation is for that whole family that, you know, scraped up $900 for you to go to college or who kept pushing you to finish and things like that, that graduation is for them as kind of proof that you did it, because I think grandma really wanted proof that he did it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know we're running out of time, but did you have a second tale you wanted to share briefly? Yeah, so the, the second tale is kind of the, the, the shameless plug for Evergreen. Okay. Uh, as we talk about what is green like and that kind of thing. Um, Evergreen is the differentest place that I've ever seen. I've never seen a place where students don't choose a major at all. They don't earn grades. They don't earn letter grades. They get narrative evaluations. Uh, they work directly with faculty, things like that. I mean, there are so many weird things about Evergreen that it's, that it's the coolest place, but like I said, the differentest place that I've ever seen. So when I went to interview, uh, what we had to do uh, when we uh, interviewed is that we had to wander around with a student who gave us a tour and then we had lunch. And I had a couple of colleges that I, um, I this was after I, you know, ACT, um, I was laid off from ACT, tried to figure out what I was gonna do next. I was looking for something meaningful and wanted to get back into college admissions. And so I had a couple of places that I was interviewing. Um, at the time I was working at Morehouse um, in, a, in kind of a, uh, an upper bound type program called SMASH, which introduced um, students to STEM careers and that kind of thing at, at Morehouse, uh, Morehouse College, sorry. So I, I flew out on a, a Thursday so I could go and do this interview and then make sure that, I'm sorry, Wednesday night so I could be back by Friday morning so I can keep teaching. So I, I only had one day in town and I had to uh, interview and then eat lunch with this student. And I don't know about you, but when someone asks, what did you major in in college? What do you say? You, what do you say? Cindy? I say I majored in communications. Okay, when people ask me, I say I majored in political science. When I sat down with this young lady and asked her what she studied at Evergreen, and she was, like I said, she was a senior, uh, she talked about this program that she's been doing in indigenous studies and how that inspired her to do an independent learning contract that took her to, Ma I'm sorry, to Samoa so she could learn more about her own family and people's background and that, and that kind of thing. That was like the weirdest answer that I'd ever gotten for what do you study in college? 
most of the time it's a one or a two word answer. And I spoke with three or four other students on that same day and everyone went through and talked about the courses that they chose and why they chose them and what they plan to do with those. I had never seen anything like that before. Um, I think about, you know, the growth that happens for a student on a regular basis when they go through and they come home for Christmas and they come home, you know, and, and you can hear the little, the bass in their voice and stuff like that. And you can hear them a little bit more confident about what they're doing. And then I talk to these evergreen students who are in their first and second year, and they have this idea that they are in control of their education and they choose what they want to take and they justify why they take the courses they take. That was the most impressive thing. And I knew that I wanted to be part of the evergreen story for at least a little while because of what the students were saying. Um, and so, you know, when people ask, why do I work at Evergreen? I tell student stories because that's the most amazing thing that I've ever seen when it comes to college admissions. And I've been around college admissions, like I said, since 1996. Okay, you just blew my mind. Okay, <laughs> first of all, okay. Um, the tip that you gave earlier, we, you clearly mm -hmm. said, and I agree, and I worked, I met New Peter when I was at Vassar and we were both working at highly selective institutions. So the tip you gave was know why you wanna do what you say you wanna do. What you just said about Evergreen students is they know why they are doing what they're doing. And uh, the way you described it, it, you're right, I don't think I've ever heard a, a student give that kind of answer. But, uh, you know, it's not about what you do. It's about why you do it. Why do you want to do? And so it's giving, shedding some light. So that, that's incredible. I would, I would be attracted to that as well. So I can see that. Oh, my goodness. So I want to just back up because Amado, oh, my gosh, who, who doesn't love Amado when you tell that story? Um, so if you're still taking notes, uh, parents and, and champions out there, Carl said there were 12 to 14 of Amado's fans that were there seven years after he had started, uh, the, started on his quest to earn his four-year degree. By the way, we should say most students graduate somewhere between four and six years. Um, so it does take some longer, uh, but it took uh, Amado seven years to get one degree. So here's what I wanna say, and Carl, just hang on with us and, and uh, we'll say our goodbyes in a second, but Carl has offered some really great tips and some tales. But here's the truth. The truth is Carl has served as the on-ramp for so many, I dare say hundreds, maybe thousands of students. And yes, it's true. Like Amado, you know, uh, got graduated in seven years. It took him that time. And his grandmother is thanking Carl for doing that. And Carl is saying, no, it was him. But it does take somebody. It does take a moment, a pivotal moment to get on the on-ramp or take the invitation to get on the on-ramp. That's the truth. And once we, he, she, something happens and you're on that track, that lane, that highway, it's up to you to keep going. So parents and champions that are out there understand the truth is our job, your job, is to simply be the on-ramp. Invite people to get on the on-ramp and then they will take the lead and keep going. Oh my God, what beautiful tales, Carl. Those were amazing. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, it, it was really, and I should note, those of you who are going to watch, uh, Carl had, had stopped. He's not driving. He stopped. Uh, he's in between. He's, he went to an, a meeting, 
is stopped here and now he's about to travel off. Uh, so we weren't uh, driving and talking. So just so you know that. Okay, let me just do the closing out of the show. Hang on tight really quickly and, uh, and then we'll say our byes. Okay, folks, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you listeners for joining the conversation. We know that you have a busy and full plate. So thanks for spending your time on Destination University. Please, to thank you, I want you to go to the website, Dr. Cynthia Colon, C-O-L-O-N.com. You've got three options for a free gift from me. So choose the one that's most appropriate for your team. If this episode has in any way fueled your confidence or helped build your dreams, please share this episode with three people in the next 30 minutes. And if you're feeling extra loving today, hit subscribe and or write us a review. It sure does help to find help other parents find us as well. And remember, you can join the conversation in our Facebook group, Destination University, Y-O-U. It's open to all parents, no matter your teen's grade level. If you found me, you are a parent, a mentor, or an advocate for college-bound teens. So come on over and join the conversation and get the insider scoop. That's all I have for you today, my dreamers. I'm Cynthia Colon. Remember to share this episode in the next 30 minutes with three people that you love. I'll see you next Wednesday. Same time, same place, noon Pacific for another episode of Destination University. Until then, wherever you are, may you have a happy and sunny day. Bye for now.